Section 12 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Piotr Natter. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases. By John B. Lewis and Charles B. Bombow. Mysterious Disappearances. Part 2. A Boston Scamp. This individual was a young man of about 25 years of age when, in 1866, his mysterious disappearance caused a momentary flutter in the financial poles of several life and accident insurance companies, which recently had written risks upon his life to an amount exceeding $40,000. Alva K. Herter was senior partner of the firm of Herter & Dewey, at that time doing business in Boston as cotton brokers and resided in Chelsea with his father, who had been connected with some missionary station in Syria as a printer. Young Herter was born in Syria, and there spent his early boyhood. The family returned to this country, and in due course of time Herter became engaged in business as stated. In the summer of 1866, in company with friends and acquaintances, he went to Scarborough, Maine. Upon a certain Friday evening, Several days after his arrival, he was apparently enjoying a sociable game of euchre until about ten o'clock. He then wrote a letter to his father, in answer to one notifying him of the arrival of his cousin from Mobile, Alabama, in which he informed his father that he would be home Saturday night, but if anything should prevent, would come by the first train Monday morning. Herter left the letter upon the table, saying to his companions, "'I cannot sleep unless I take some exercise before going to bed.' I'm going out to take a row. The house in which the parties were was within a stone's throw of the beach, where several small boats were fastened near the water's edge. He did not afterwards return. The next day no trace of him was discoverable, but on the second day, Sunday morning, a small dory was found bottom-up, partly stove in, and lying near the boat was found one of the oars belonging to it. At an indescribable distance from the dory was picked up a life-preserver vest which was partly filled with air, and further search resulted in the discovery of a hat which was identified as one worn by Herter. The place where the boat was found was about half an hour's rowing from the house where Herter had been boarding. At certain stages the tide runs swiftly, and at its ebb leaves numerous rocks above the surface of the water. The disappearance was plausibly accounted for after these discoveries, it was supposed that Herter was rowing at the time in the usual manner, sitting with his back toward the bow of the boat, when the latter ran upon a rock and thereby was partly stove in, upset, and Herter drowned. Search for the body was carefully and thoroughly made. At low water the bottom could be seen distinctly in most places, and every probable place was dragged. It did not seem to surprise anyone that Herter had lost his life, as was apparently the case. The night he went out for exercise was, at the time, somewhat dark, and resident fishermen declared it dangerous for a stranger to be out upon the water at the hour and in the manner in which Herter had made his venture. Notices of loss under the several insurance policies were duly served upon the companies. Of the sum insured, the Travelers Insurance Company had written 10,000 in accident insurance, and that company at once instituted an investigation of the matter. It soon afterward came to light that Herter had misappropriated some $2,000 belonging to the firm, that he had borrowed $4,000 for the firm of his father, and $3,000 of other parties, 
for all of which he had failed to account to the firm. His business partner was in New York during the period of these alleged misdemeanors, and a partial discovery of them was made while Herter was recreating at Scarborough Beach. Herter's partner at once wrote to him requesting him to return and adjust his accounts. No notice apparently being taken of this request, a message was sent to the effect that someone would appear with authority to bring him home, unless he came at once. This message was received by Herter just prior to his feeling the necessity for exercise before going to bed. On following up the search through the agency of the chiefs of police of Boston and Portland, it soon was ascertained that Herter, after suitably arranging the evidences of his drowning, went directly to the nearest railroad station, and thence hastened onward to Canada as rapidly as steam power could carry him. All claims against the insurance companies were speedily abandoned, and the policies surrendered. A Susquehanna River Case In the summer of 1866, a man named Knox procured an accident insurance ticket of $5,000 in his own favor upon the life of a young man living near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, bearing the singular name of John Smith. The insurance was written by the Railway Passengers Assurance Company of Hartford. It was to cover a period of two days only, and cost fifty cents. As the time, therefore, was short, John made good use of it by selecting the very next day for the bathing and drowning purpose contemplated in the transaction. He took with him a boy who was to bear witness to his final disappearance from earthly scenes and trials via the engulfing waters of the Susquehanna. The boy, properly coached, bore witness to the lamentable fact that he was on the shore watching Smith and saw him drown, after which he carried Smith's clothes homeward. Mr. Knox was distressed and anxious. He even offered a reward of sixty dollars in gold for the recovery of the body, but it was not recovered. In due time, proofs of death were made out, and Mr. Knox knocked at the door of the company and asked for five thousand dollars. Its officers sent it fraud and declined to pay. Suit was brought, and the cause was to have come to a final trial in the month of March following, but before the appointed day arrived, a detective of the company found Mr. Knox in Philadelphia and exercised such persuasive powers that he owned up that it was all a fraud. John Smith was not drowned in the slightest degree, but was serving his country as an able-bodied soldier of the regular army. It is clear that Mr. Knox ought to be serving his country in the penitentiary. An Ohio River Case On the 14th of August, 1867, a hearing was had before Justice Walter, of Washington, D.C., of the case of Joseph Le Pen, alias H. A. Deicher, who was charged by his wife, Josephine Le Pen, with having committed adultery. She also charged that she was afraid that the said Lepin would do her bodily harm. He was further charged with an attempt to defraud the Connecticut Mutual Life Insurance Company out of the sum of $10,000, as the following letter from the president of the company would show. Office of the Connecticut Mutual Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut, August 12, 1867. Dear Sir, I have noticed today an account taken of the Washington Star of an attempt to defraud a life insurance company by one Joseph Lepin, alias H. A. Deicher, who is said to be a clerk in one of the offices of the Patent Office Building. As the account corresponds precisely with the proofs of loss and circumstances of a claim made upon our company by Josephine Lepin for an insurance on the life of her husband, Joseph Lepin, except as to the time, 
we are anxious to ascertain if there is or was a clerk in any of the departments by the name of joseph lepen alias h a deicher and know of no one to address but you to make this inquiry the account states that lepen was arrested at the instance of his wife for adultery and he was committed for trial by justice walter this may give you a clue to the case or if you have not time for the inquiry please inform me if there is a justice walter in washington and give me his address that i can write to him joseph lepen was insured in our company in january eighteen sixty two in december eighteen sixty six claim was made on us that lepen was drowned in the ohio river about the eleventh of august previous as he took passage on a steamer at parkersburg the day previous and when the boat arrived at wheeling he was missing but his clothes and effects were found in his stateroom and on the sixteenth day of august a body was found in the river some twenty-five miles below wheeling and though it could not be identified as lepens his wife claims on account of his continued absence that it was that of her husband and demands the insurance money all the circumstances stated in the star paper correspond with her statement except in relation to time and we are inclined to think it is the development of what we had always supposed was an attempt to defraud us of the money if you can put us on the track of an investigation you will much oblige yours truly guy r phelps president to j n pryor washington d c mr cash testified that the defendant came to his house four months previously and gave the name of deicher that he stated that he had left europe because he had killed his superior officer and he desired to stay there till he could hear from his family subsequently a man came to witness's house who recognized the prisoner as mr lepen the prisoner then told witness that his name was lepen that he was in parkersburg and got on the steamer to go to wheeling and go to gambling on the boat that he lost his money and himself and another of those engaged got to fighting and fell overboard that he got ashore and the other one was drowned he then placed his pocket trinkets in the pockets of the man who was drowned thinking he would try and create the impression that he was dead so that his wife might obtain the insurance on his life and that having obtained the money she might join him and they could go back to europe so far as the charge of adultery was concerned nothing was proved beyond the fact that the prisoner was seen to kiss the wife of the witness after hearing the evidence of a number of witnesses the prisoner was remanded for a further hearing justice walter stated that from the facts within his knowledge there was strong suspicion that the prisoner had pushed the man with whom he had been gambling overboard and that he felt justified in holding him in custody until he could obtain the presence here of parties in willing and hartford lepen however was subsequently discharged from custody after having his picture taken for the rogues gallery dr phelps the president of the insurance company wrote to justice walter before whom the case was tried that no valid complaint could be made against lepen himself as the claim for five thousand dollars and representations of death had been made by his wife if she were in collusion in a transaction to defraud he could be punished as an accessory if found guilty but being a complainant against lepen it appeared to the officials that she was innocent therefore all prosecution must be dropped dr phelps added the transaction was adroitly performed and the circumstantial proofs were quite strong but we had some suspicion that all was not right and declined paying the policy although threatened with a suit so that we are not actually defrauded 
a photograph forwarded from connecticut purporting to be a picture of lepen formerly of cleveland ohio and more recently of wheeling west virginia was identified as the likeness of the accused the same picture had previously been identified by a coroner's jury as strongly resembling the body taken from the ohio river after lepen's disappearance a year before the accused at the time of his arrest was employed as a clerk at the department of the interior and was a native of bohemia End of section 12.